For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're here to continue our set of season reviews. This position group, The Edge, we're going to talk about today, and our good friend Michael Crawford is here. Michael, how are you doing? Doing great, Ken. Always a pleasure to talk some football with you. Um, happy to be back. I know we were talking uh, not too long ago um, on a different topic, so you know it's good to be back in, in kind of a shorter time frame. Probably doing it a little sooner than either uh, you or I would like, but you know that that's the yeah. way the season ended. So you know we're moving forward. Yeah, but we were going to have the talk about the Super Bowl, so it'd be just next week anyway. Doing that long review yeah. of yes, yeah, so that would have been that would have been the the preferred re-meeting time but unfortunately we're talking about the edge today wrapping up the Ravens season by positional group uh you know a, a lot of common themes running through this group the Ravens have certainly though in recent years had an amazing ability to find edge talent in the bargain bin and that was a big part of this 2023 team with Van Noy and Clowney both coming very cheap and very late yeah yeah they've they've always kind of shopped on that clearance rack uh, in free agencies at, at a variety of different position groups. Uh, but, but at edge, as you mentioned, particularly, but this year, I mean, they, it, it's like when you you're shopping, you know, in, in real life, like shopping, right. Where now we're using the analogy and you go in there and you find something that's like a really nice brand, right? Like if you got it at a store, you pay hundreds of dollars for it. You get it in there and it's like 50 bucks or something. <laughs> so they found like some real gems this year. Yeah, outstanding. Um, you know, one of the other common themes that ran through McDonald's defense is we saw very few of the multiple tight end looks. And they had three guys in the rotation this year in Owe, Van Noy, and Clowney, who they would have liked probably at some time to get on the field together. They could have used, you know, Octavius Robinson even as a fourth down lineman. But a combination of having some linemen who could rush the passer and 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 synergize with those guys and also the need, I think, to restrict snaps for all of them uh, kept them basically using two the entire year. Very little rush nickel, a few snaps, but very, very little of it. And I don't believe a single snap of race car all year. I have to go back and see if they had a, a single four OLB snap. If they did, I'm not exactly sure when it would have occurred because they never really had an abundance of outside linebackers for a game. Yeah, that was interesting for sure. Uh, if you'd asked me back before the season started, like even back, you know, OTA's training camp, uh, I certainly wouldn't have anticipated that. I mean, the conversation around that position at that time was way different than, you know, the conversation we're about to have now. I mean, there was a lot of uncertainty. There was a lot of unknowns. There was a lot of, well, how is this going to work? Where's the pressure going to come from? And, you know, not just the guys, which I know we'll talk about the personnel, but then also how he deployed them, which you sort of just alluded to. Um, it was and I guess this this probably carries over to the, the defense uh, in, in a more broad sense. It was just like the perfect storm season on defense in a lot of ways. Just so many things kind of came together to do something historic. 
going to be very difficult to replicate a lot of that because a lot of it, frankly, is based on on health. The defensive line health was at an amazing level. They they had the same five guys play every single defensive line snap the whole year, which I've never heard of happening before. Uh, and that's just that's uh, absurd. It's crazy. <laughs> and uh, and you know the outside linebacker, the big three, the Ravens have actually done this, I think, before with Owe when it was Houston and. Let's see, it would have been Owe Houston and not JPP. He was the other one I'm thinking of. That's the third of that group who was providing them with some real pass rush ability. It was not JPP. It, it was, was not another J- person no. group. So yeah. th- this was not Bowser. Bowser was not healthy that season. Yeah, it was. Oh, it, was, was Bowser. it was Bowser. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so that he's yeah, been out for a while. It's easy you to know, do. And that's, and that's my, part of the frustration with this group. But it, it, as good as they were, they really could have been better. Um, and and two guys. Could be back, I'll say. Bowser, obviously, from from the long NFI, which I think we most people have already written off any kind of possibility that he'll be back um, because he could be caught at a, at a fairly significant savings. But also uh, Ajabo, who missed all, every game after week three and honestly has not, not really taken a step forward from his year one performance. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough with him because, you know, that first season, you kind of knew what – the deal was in terms of injury, you know, he came uh, from the draft, you know, suffered an injury um, training for the draft, I think, or was that at his pro day or something like that. So you kind of knew coming into the season, like, okay, we're not going to see this guy for a while. If we see anything this year, that'll be an encouraging sign. And we did. And he flashed a little bit and Mm -hmm. we're thinking, okay, year two, this thing's about to take off. And unfortunately the injury bug bit him again. And now you are sort of resetting those expectations. You're like, okay, well, what are we going to get now? As opposed to coming off year one, you're thinking, oh man, we're really about to see something. And now you're like, well, what are we going to see? <laughs> so, like the tone has changed, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's, it is very unfortunate. And, and, and the chance is not zero, obviously, that we'll see something from Ajabo the rest of his time. But at this point, it's kind of at a crossroads season already. It's kind of early to be there. I think he's actually changed how the Ravens view that NFI tag when it's on a rookie. So they obviously, they placed it on Voorhees as well, and they did not offer any sort of an early back that would reduce his, um, you know, give him a year of service credit effectively. Yeah. And so they, they, they did for Ajabo, which in retrospect was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think he gained enough developmentally from that year to justify the lost year. And now obviously with the injury after it, it compounds the situation. It wouldn't, this would have been year one. We'd have be having much different conversation about a and his value to the Ravens still. Um, but I think the Ravens have learned their lesson on this. I, I, I don't know that there's another player that they would, um, you know, make that adjustment for. Uh, and, and they had more leverage over Vori's because all they'd used was a seventh round pick on him. And if a had said, no, I'm not signing for that. And, somehow decided it was in his best interest to go to the next draft, which I don't know how it would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, then he could have, uh, you know, he could have potentially been drafted by somebody else and, and signed a new contract and, and whatnot. But uh, uh, unfortunate situation all the way around. Um, and uh, and it, it just is what it is, obviously. To get back to something good, you know, what, what I really liked about this team was the compound pressures that led to sacks. And, you know, at some points they say in the past, oh, you don't have anybody who just get to the quarterback and take him down. But the truth of the matter is they missed a lot of sacks this year and they were good missed tackles that led to these compound pressures. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be a missed tackle, but just a, somebody gets pressure, somebody finishes. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I know we'll, we'll probably hit on that um, when we talk about Clowney for sure, but he wasn't the only one. Uh, there were other guys who had opportunities to kind of close and finish the deal and, you know, weren't able to get the quarterback down. But like you said, did it in such a way that it allowed the next guy um, to actually finish the deal. And, and as Harbaugh likes to say, put the period on the end of the play. Um, and so it was just like a swarm, you know, it's like a, like a, a shark week sort of feeding frenzy kind of situation <laughs> with their pass rush this year, which I, I mean, look, it's, it's great when one guy can just straight up win and get to the quarterback and get him down clean. I'm not knocking that at all. Obviously that's great, but there definitely is something to be said when you've got multiple guys getting there or around the vicinity of the quarterback so that when one guy kind of gets a hold and slows him up and now the quarterback has kind of got to reset and try to get his bearings and there's another guy, you know, closing in right on him. Uh, there's a lot to be said for that kind of pressure as well. Like you said, the compound pressures. Yeah. The quarterback, if the quarterback gets spun, there's usually a very limited chance of a costly completed pass. I'm not saying it never happens. We saw Lamar Jackson have one in this in the AFC championship game, but um, more often than not, it's it's a case where uh, that quarterback might maybe gets the ball out of bounds. But most of the time that ball's tucked, it's not coming back up and not even getting thrown. Uh, somebody else is going to get there. And the Ravens had, um, as much as they had great starters, they had great closers this year with Matapike being you know, a, a big-time beneficiary uh, of it in terms of his sacks. Yeah, I think aside from a select few quarterbacks, you mentioned Lamar being one of them, Mahomes, you know, we can we can probably name the names. I think for most guys back there, they drop their eyes, right? When that first guy gets a hold of them, they kind of shake that off. At that point, they've dropped their eyes and they're now just trying to survive and looking for mm -hmm. a way to to get down or get the ball out of bounds or get whatever they can. But there's these other guys, whether it be Matt or BK, whoever else it was, bearing down on you. And I think that when you played the Ravens this year in particular, you saw a lot of guys sort of go to that immediately. Like they just – so guys who maybe would be a little bit more willing to kind of hang in there, keep their eyes up, try to keep their eyes downfield, if it happened once, it's almost like it started to speed them up. And they're like, all right, I don't have time for that with this group. I got to just get down – get the ball out of bounds or get whatever I can. I mean, yeah, I can think about the Lions game. I think they kind of had that effect on golf. You can probably think about a couple of different games like that where they just got the guys and they were just like almost tapping out. I don't want to say that because I don't think guys were doing that. But it, you know, it gave you that feeling like these guys are just tapping out. Yeah. I, I some, faced some weak offensive lines too, but Trevor Lawrence you know, wasn't looking his most – secure in the pocket against him. I think Stroud might have had one of his worst games here. Brock Purdy, of course, was just he was uh, in a different headspace uh, during that game. And the, I, I would have loved to have actually heard that conversation that happened behind the card with Shanahan about why he was not going back into the game. And Darnold was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was one of those things. It's like you take the you, you, you're taking the, the pitcher out, right? You got to go and say, hey, you, you just don't have it tonight. <laughs> you got to get him out of there. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Clowney a little bit, I guess, uh, uh, first. Uh, one of the great one-year signings in Ravens history for value. And it was an up-and-down year, honestly, for Ravens free agent signings. They didn't do well on some, but they did it well enough on the ones that hit that I think in aggregate, they got good value, even with a, a deal like Beckham on the books, who I, I don't think I can twist that anyway into providing value, or Yassine, who I don't think anybody would try and claim was a value at his price. 
Yeah, Clowney just you know, the talent is there. Obviously, you see the physical talent and he's he's a different type of rusher. He's a different type of pass rusher. I think um for me, I felt like he's always been a pretty solid to maybe even above average run defender. I think that's mm-hmm. always been a part of the game cuz he is super physical. That's that's one of the first things you notice when you turn on a game and you watch uh Clowney even before this season. Like he even in Cleveland where, you know, I guess you know, maybe he probably had a little bit of a down year last year by his standards or by other people's standards. But one thing that he does is be physical in the run game. And I think he's, you and I have talked about this a little bit before. I think he's actually a pretty intelligent run defender too. He's got some of those Suggs qualities in terms of knowing how to knife across uh, a blocker's face to set someone else up, like knowing when he can do that, right? Because mm-hmm. obviously everybody has an assignment. They have a gap that they're responsible for. And you have to have an understanding that, hey, if my gap is, say, an outside gap, uh, if I'm going to now knife inside, I have to know that there's somebody there who can cover me. Yeah. Or I have to do it in a way where uh, the linebackers, let's use them, for example, are reading behind me and they're jackknifing off of which way I go. Right. If I go in, they go out. If I go out, they go in. I think he understands that stuff. And I don't think he gets a lot of credit for that because you think about his name. I don't know how many people talk about his intelligence, particularly as a run defender. But I think he's a really smart run defender. So I, I, I always give him a lot of credit for that. I, I completely agree. Of course, putting him in the Suggs category is kind of like putting any starting pitcher today, anybody, including the Cy Young Award winner in Sandy Koufax's category, because Suggs is the greatest run defender of our generation. Right. And uh, I, the things he did, <laughs> just to, right. so to clarify, clarify everybody out there, yeah. some of those qualities, <laughs> I'm not saying that Fair he's enough. derail Suggs, but some of those maybe maybe instincts is a better way to, to describe it. Some of I, those instincts in the run game. I, I think that's a really good point. And I don't remember making the note this year, but I do remember times where he took an inside track and it seemed like he knew either Queen or Roquan was out there protecting the sea gap and that he could make that make that move and you know some of that you almost have to have eyes in the back of your head but you don't really because you know there's only certain players who can block those inside linebackers and if you you have enough of a view of those guards and the center to understand are they climbing and and in a potential place to make that block so i i I don't think he actually has to turn his head around to figure out if uh if roquan or queen should be in the right place but again you know that's that's a case of uh, you know a very integrated defense understanding what each other is doing and trusting the man behind them. That, that, you know, that's something Ray Lewis always used to talk about with the 2000 team. Yeah. And you hear um, defensive line coaches talk about that. Don't lie to the man behind you. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, they are, they're on a string, right? Defensive line, linebacker, even back to the secondary, they're on a string. They're tied together. Uh, particularly in run defense. You can make the same argument for 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 pass coverage, but since we're talking about run defense. So, you know, these are kind these are the kinds of things where when you understand not just the structure of your defense, but also the blocking scheme from the offense and what they're trying to do, if you can recognize though, then everybody can stay connected on that string because now they know, okay, if Clowney's going to do this, now here's my adjustment, right? Linebacker, here's my adjustment. And then the safety's fitting off the linebacker. Okay, if Roquan's going to do this because Clowney did that, then here's how I adjust, you know? So it keeps everybody connected on that string. And um, I think he's just really good at that. And then as a pass rusher, I think we've seen, I don't know, I have not looked at his numbers. Maybe he had a double-digit sack season somewhere else, down, you know, I don't think so. 
It was great. Okay. I think this was career high at nine and a half, right? Let me take a look real quick. But okay, because he's he's always been a a a different kind of pass rusher. You know, he's not that bendy burn the edge. You know, it's not TJ Watt. It's not even Miles Garrett. You know, Garrett <laughs> Garrett's like in a whole nother category, but he's not that sort of flexible turn the corner kind of guy. He's a little bit more of a power rusher. But I think this year you actually saw him with maybe a little bit of a deeper arsenal of rush moves. And I know we'll probably talk about Chuck, Chuck Smith, Smith at some point, but yeah. yeah, I think, you know, there was a lot to attribute there to Chuck. Um, because when you think about it, particularly when you think about Clowney and Van Noy, Chuck was kind of that guy towards the end of his career. I mean, I think he had like 58 or 59 sacks in his career with the Falcons. And I want to say his last double digit sack season, um, so I think he played nine years, eight with Atlanta, one season with the Panthers, I think, came in his his second to last season. He was 30 years old, and I think he got like 10 sacks or nine sacks, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think he can really relate to that veteran pass rusher. <laughs> you know, he's been that guy. And obviously being a specialist the way that he was before he joined the Ravens, more so than what a position coach can do, because I think they have some limitations in terms of time, in terms of, you know, maybe certain things that they want to teach. But a specialist who's doing this outside, right, you come to me, I'm going to divide, I'm going to design a plan specifically for you, your body type, how you move, you know, the things that you're comfortable doing. So I think just coming in with that kind of approach where, hey, I'm going to help you almost in an individual development plan. You know, I'm taking something from my day job kind of terminology, an IDP, right, for these guys. And I think you saw the benefits, not just with Clowney, but with all of these guys. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you've just hit on two important things. Obviously, Clowney was getting a lot of first pressures this year and getting some cleanup work as well. So I'm not, not saying either not. And also being the Ravens' best, probably edge defender of their group. Always also pretty good, pretty good run defender. But the but the the situation is similar to McPhee a few years ago. That McPhee came in here back in in twenty eighteen, I think. I think that's right. And played 2018, 2019 with the Ravens. He got hurt fairly early in that 2019 season. But in 2018, he was pretty much there for the whole year. Played a lot more snaps than he had for for any time in the recent past at that point. And the problem was that the Ravens, he was their best run and best pass defender. He's their best pass rusher and he's their best you know run defender at the time. And you wanted to have him on the field all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and yet you, you have to find out when can you not Put this guy on the field. And I thought that was one of the real nice things about McDonald's operation of this team was management of snaps, didn't overwork people with the with the three and four outside linebacker packages, which is one thing, but also got them off the field in base a lot so that Clowney's not out there having to pair up with Harrison in that base defense. It's a lot of times it's Robinson and Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean losing Mike McDonald, we could go off on a whole nother tangent about that, even though I'm excited about Zach Orr, but yeah, I think that to me is always a hallmark of a good coach is somebody who can take what their players do and design the system around that. It's not so much. Here's my system. You guys need to fit into this come hell or high water. Obviously, he has a structure. You can't show up with nothing. But I think he showed me just a, a reminder. You know, like, like I said, it's always something I look for. But it was just another reminder that, look, uh, the best guys do that really, really well. And so I think, like you said, he was able to kind of identify situationally. All right, here's where I can get get Clowney off the field a little bit, kind of save him a little bit, uh, still be effective with the other guys that are out there because of the role that we're asking them to play. 
it's something they can do. It's not, you know, <laughs> go back to a couple of years ago, right, when so many of their edge guys were hurt and you had uh, Owe out there like doing everything, <laughs> right, putting all kinds of stuff on his plate. Now, that was out of necessity. But fortunately, we didn't have that situation this year. And I think McDonald did a really good job of having roles for guys and putting them in positions to do what they do well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, very well said. 747 snaps, the most he's played since 2018. Um, it comes back to me, only only dropped the cover 22 times. So they weren't trying to make him into a Sam linebacker, even though they didn't really have a Sam linebacker this year. It turned out, we'll talk a little bit about Van Noy because he did a little bit more of it, but still nothing like what Bowser has done in the past. A uh, couple other notes, just two penalties. There are NZI and a DOF. No significant penalty. And when you hit the quarterback as often as Clowney did this year, you'd have to think there'd be a very high probability of that happening. And he he did get one in the AFC Championship game, right? So I'm talking about so. the regular yeah. season. Um, you know, going that you know that whole stretch without being penalized is uh, one. A lot of streaks were broken in that AFC Championship game, unfortunately. Yeah, when you when you hit the quarterback as often as he did, when you hit the quarterback as hard as he does, you think that there might be a few more of those roughing the passer calls. But he was able to kind of stay clean of that for most of the season. But you know, there was there were several. Uh, issues in the AFC championship game when it came to penalties, but we're not here to rehash that game. No, we are not. So uh, one more thing. I did not see the backstage, you know, photo op thing with Lamar and Joe Flacco getting mm. together. I, I assume mm-hmm. that means Joe Flacco won the comeback player of the year. Award. He did. Okay. He did. Why was Clowney not in consideration for that? He had a year with two sacks and four total quarterback hits that year, which are, are subset, generally speaking, not always, but generally a subset of the quarterback hits. Why wasn't he in consideration for it? Very good question. A I much better year than Flacco. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw somebody tweet that um, earlier. I, I can't remember who it was, actually. I wanted to give him credit, but I can't remember who it was. But they asked that question. They were like, why was he not even in the running? When you look at the other guys, not that they weren't deserving. Baker Mayfield, DeMar Hamlin, which is really more of a, a comeback story, right? right? I think that's how they worded it. It was like the best comeback story of yeah. the year with Demar Hamlin because this guy is, is alive, so that's amazing. Um, but you know, there might have been some players who had uh, that were you know better candidates for comeback player of the year, and I, I I'd put Clowney up there with any of those guys. So I, I don't know. Good question. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about Kyle Van Noy, who didn't even join the Ravens until Week Four, still managed to get nine sacks. You know, when he, he was available the offseason and, you know, I was fretting about the Ravens losing a lot of pass rush flexibility because of not having a Sam linebacker, which, by the way, didn't end up hurting them that much. So there, there was that. But I, I my thought all the way along the line is Kyle Vannoy is, you know, kind of a, a perfect fit for this team in terms of being a guy who can drop the cover if you want to gain that flexibility. Yeah, it was a little little surprising. You know, a guy with his skill set, and I know he's an older guy, and that probably played into it. Um, and, and money, of course, is, is always a factor yep. in these things. But, um, you know, we got to see it once he joined the team, uh, just how much of that skill set is still intact. Uh, and, you know, uh, as he said in his own words, off the couch and uh, to the Ravens. And I remember uh, talking uh, to Denard Melton, who I do the Virus Zone show with, when we watched his, maybe it was, the first game that um, Van Noy got in. And I don't even remember the snap count. I don't, I don't know that he played a, a real big load in, in that first game, but 
uh, a couple of pass rushes he was in for. I'm like, this guy's got a deep bag of pass rush moves, and he wants yeah. to show them all. <laughs> like in the course of a game, he wants to show all of them. He throws a lot at those opposing tackles. And, uh, you know, it, it's nice when you can do that because it can go the other way. Sometimes you can be jack of all, master of none kind of situation. You're just throwing all these moves, but nothing really is is landing. But he seems to have a real plan. He seems to have a real understanding of how to string them together and why he's using a certain move when he uses it to set a guy up in a particular way or set him up for something later. And he, he reminds me, this is not, you know, perfect comparison, but just in terms of the pass rush and some of the things that he does, because I think, you know, I think sometimes because he's a veteran guy, he it might not always be the way that it's called or drawn up, but he kind of sees something and he's like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, it reminds me of the story I heard about Justin Houston the other day. <laughs> I was like, you know what? That sounds a lot. Um, all right. I'll try not to derail us too much, but you've probably seen it. Uh, Mark DeLeon reportedly is going to be the Ravens new inside linebackers coach. A lot of people might not know that name. You might know his dad, George DeLeon, because he was the offensive coordinator at Syracuse back when Donovan McNabb was here. So when they were doing the freeze option and all that cool stuff, that's his dad, George DeLeon. But anyway, Mark DeLeon, who also coached Roquan. Uh, for a couple of years in Chicago. I want to say like 19, 20, 21. Uh, but he was on a podcast and he was telling a story about coaching Tamba Ali and Justin Houston back in Kansas City. Uh, and he said these guys would study stances, right? They would study the stances of tackles. And they said, you know, some guys are really good at not giving anything away, but some guys have tails, have very noticeable tails. And they would find certain things and it might be like a heel placement or, or a movement or something. And they said, Justin had found something in a game with one particular guy, something he did with his foot or his leg or something where he said like nine out of 10 times when he does that, it's pass. I've just been watching tape after tape and it's pass, it's pass. So they, they call a play on defense. Justin's supposed to go down inside. He's lined up, you know, outside edge of the tackle. He's supposed to go down inside, but he doesn't because he sees the tackle do his thing. He knows it's pass and he just rushes, right? He does the move he wants to do and he ends up getting the sack. And he comes over to the sideline and the D.C. Uh, for the Chiefs at the time. I forget who it was. I, I don't know if Spags was there yet or not. And he says, hey, great job. But, you know, you were supposed to go inside. He said, coach, I saw the tape. <laughs> you know, I saw the move on tape. And so I think sometimes when you get these veteran guys, and that's why I'm tying this back to Van Noy. Sometimes they just see certain things and it may not be what's called, but they trust their instincts, you know, because they've been doing this a long time. You let great instinct players alone. Ed Reed, you know, always used to say he used to he used to work off the center to block punts. It was that was the weakness he needed, not somebody who was responsible for blocking on the outside because he was too quick for all that crap. He needed a great get, great get off against that center, and if they if he had a certain way the ball was getting tilted or whatever, he knew to go early. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, you know, going back to Reed's career. There's some probably some younger fans who don't know this, but he had four block punts in his first two years of his career before they really took him off the punt team. And uh, uh, he returned three of those himself, picked up the ball and ran him in for touchdowns. So uh, <laughs> incredible start to his career. Bill Belichick still says never would have taken him off the punt team. Yeah, I bet he wouldn't have. You know how he feels about special teams. Yeah. And it just reminds you of what an amazing player Ed was. As amazing as he was as a, um, a safety and a center fielder, he was an all-pro special team player. Yeah. <laughs> that type of ability. Yeah. I, every time I swear, still swear, every time he went back to uh, receive a punt, even though for for the Ravens, a lot of what he did was just being a designated fair catch guy. Yeah. And the Ravens have had those guys since, you know, guys they really trust with their hands and whatnot. 
Um, every time he went back, I thought there's a good chance he's going to run this one back. It's just, it's just he's the incredible open field player, great field vision. What a player. You know? yep. uh, we're we're going to be doing, by the way, I, I'll just I'll, I'll plug this right now. We're going to be doing a set of shows this offseason, a historical look. And I usually do one historical season series per offseason. Um, but this one is going to be once there was a player. And it's about not taking any of the top tier Ravens. So none of the, none of the Mount Rushmore guys, none of the top 20 or 20 or 25 Ravens of all time, but, but try to take that second tier guy and what he meant to you. So I'll be asking you for a player at some point, Michael, I, I really want to hear who you'd like to. Hey, Tommy Zibikowski, Haruri Nakamura. <laughs> Those are my kind of guys. I'm back. So yeah, yeah. there you go. All right. Uh, let's see. Van Noy. I think we saw terrific instincts from the, in the screen game, in addition to just a bodacious spin move. We saw <laughs> you, you alluded to a lot of his, his, his moves there made some good run plays, but honestly, I didn't think he had that great a year as a run defender, but that, Fourth down, slip inside against the Texans to beat Juice Scruggs. That was something. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the kind of plays that he's going to make against the run, right? As contrasted to Clowney, who you line a tight up, a tight end across from him, he's going to destroy that guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's not necessarily uh, Van Noy's game. It's a little bit more about slipping blocks, quickness, angles, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there are going to be some times where he's kind of going to get got in the run game because he's going to go against a guy who's more physical, but he's also going to make some of those sneaky plays and really like high leverage moments. So just, I just loved his veteran savvy. Same thing for, for Clowney. I've got a soft spot in my heart for veteran players. I know that's not where the league is right now, but I just love those guys, man, because they just bring those little things to the table. Well, you know, the good thing about it is the Ravens need to find out where to save money. And edge is a player is a place where the rest of the league seems to think you have to draft an edge, sign a young edge, trade for a great young edge, as the Bears did with you know Montez Sweat, who I don't know if he meets the definition of any of that, but, but he's a, he's good enough that they felt like we can't possibly get a pass rusher that good in the draft without trading for him and then overpaying for him on the free agent market as well, you know, by, by re-signing the guy. Uh, but but you know. The, what the Ravens have proven is that they can go to the bargain bin and find tremendous talent there the last few years with, you know, just to name four names we've already named on the show are McPhee, Houston, Van Noy, and Clowney. Yep. Incredible bargains over a short period of time. Yep. Yeah, I think, I mean, for a while, they kind of had that reputation with receiver a little bit, and that was a little bit more out of necessity, right, because they were drafting guys and they were missing, so they kind of had to go for the veteran wide receiver. But uh, I think – well, we'll see how it goes this year because obviously they're going to have a little bit of a shuffling of the deck with the coaching staff. Like obviously Weaver's not here coaching the D line. I think Chuck Smith is still going to be back. Different inside linebackers coach. That kind of thing's going to change up a little bit. So we'll see uh, different DC, of course, if there's going to be enough continuity uh, where you can still get that kind of effectiveness out of those kinds of guys. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't. But it's just one of those things where I'm kind of like, well, let's see if they can keep that going. I mean, obviously, they were doing it before, like you mentioned with me, Fee. I mean, that was even before this current iteration of coaches. So I, I think they can keep it going. Um, but, you know, whenever you have change, you never know. Like my dad always says, you never know until you know. So we'll see. Co continuity from a couple levels, though. They have the brains on defense with Roquan and mm -hmm. Kyle Hamilton. Uh, and I think Marcus Williams as well. You know, a healthy Marcus Williams is a guy who who knows where he's supposed to be on a football field certifiably yep. on a play-by-play -play basis. Um, and, and you know, to the degree they've got some younger guys moving in, like like uh, Trenton Simpson, for example, 
maybe some more development from Tavius Robinson, those guys will learn from the best, you know, and, and uh, that uh, hopefully is a, is something good. Uh, what else I want to say, anything else, two penalties the whole year. And one of them was in the AFC championship game. Again, unnecessary roughness by Van Noy. Uh, you know, honestly, very low mistake years from these outside linebackers is it was a common theme running through them. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, key mistakes in the biggest game of the year is another common thing, but we'll, <laughs> again, we digress. We digress. Let's move on to Dafe away. Um, I think his season, I think as a player, he is consistently underappreciated in terms of first pressures. I think there's good examples like him in Ravens history. If you go back to Zedaria Smith, Mm -hmm. uh, a guy who until through year three had had very little in the way of actual closing on quarterbacks, but he generated a lot of pressures, generated some quarterback hits. Um, You know, he he had been a great pass rusher. And other teams, you know, knew what he was in terms of getting pressure. Adafi Owe now is that guy. And, you know, you kind of, you kind of, all the pieces are kind of coming together as to why he was a Big Ten, um, all Big Ten, and still had zero sacks, right, his senior year. Yep. Yeah. And I, the Smith comparison really resonates with me because I had to do a report on Zadarius way back. Uh, so I want to say it was on his second year because his first year, I think he had a pretty decent year. He might have had four or five sacks, something like that, his rookie year. And then I think there were some injuries. Kind of, it was either the second or third year where there was kind of some injuries mixed in there. He played. He played during the season, but, you know, a couple games he missed and was coming back for some stuff. And I'm watching some of these games and I'm seeing these pressures. I'm like, this guy is winning rushes. He's not sacking the quarterback, yeah. but he's winning rushes. He's affecting the quarterback oftentimes, making him move off the spot, making him pull the ball down, different things. But he just wasn't getting home. And I was like in my report, I'm like, I don't know when it's going to happen, but when this guy gets back to full health and just, you know, sheer randomness, he starts winning some more and finishing, not winning because he was already winning, but starts finishing some more of these rushes. He's probably going to put up a pretty good sack season. And I think either a year or two later, he put up a pretty good sack season. So you could see it. There's no guarantee that that same thing is always going to happen. Um, you know, so I'm not, I don't know if I can make that same prediction for, for Adafi, but I think he's on that same track where you're like, man, it's just like a couple of, of, of things breaking his way and you're going to see him put up a eight, nine, maybe even 10 sack season. And you're like, well, where, this came out of nowhere. It's like, no, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't come out of nowhere. He'd been close. He'd been, you know, quality rushes steadily improving every year as a run defender, as a pass rusher. And it just, you know, sometimes it just clicks. Moving the quarterback off the spot. Very valuable this year. Um, and it, Away was the biggest passed down specialist of the group of the three. Um, they really didn't use him on first down very often at all. Some of it was might have been injury related, um, but they, they did not use him much on first down. They were actually you know kept him pretty fresh for for rushing the passer. Uh, you know another great spin move from him that's very reminiscent of Van Noy, and it's not it's not that we never saw a spin move from away before. It just looked a lot crisper this year. So I wonder if there's something about how he's setting it up by getting to the body initially, which is allowing him to get the better action on the spin, the, you know, get free uh, uh, quicker with that. So maybe part of the plan and working with Smith that, that, that he was able to improve that move. I think he's definitely improved it technically. Cause like you said, we've seen him spin before, but just in my opinion, what I was saying, he was spinning in place. 
he wasn't gaining any ground with the spin, right? So typically you're going to, if, if it's an inside spin, I've seen him do both this year, inside spin and outside spin, which is, I love the outside spin. It doesn't, it's maybe not always, the best, yeah, but it's just a fun move. <laughs> but to, to you know, to focus on the inside spin, you know, if you can attack that sort of outside shoulder, right, and get the tackle to turn, and then as you work back inside, gain ground back inside towards the quarterback, don't spin in the same place, right? Like a top, you're actually gaining depth towards the quarterback as you work that inside spin and you hit with that inside elbow, they call it an ice pick into that guy's chest. And you actually use that to propel yourself in that inside spin. So it's like a momentum create all it hits the guy, which kind of further knocks him out, but it also propels you inside more. So I think you can see some technical improvements um to that move this year and again we've mentioned chuck smith a couple his name a couple times this year not not a surprise that they're going to be technical improvements when you got you know arguably one of the better pass rush specialist teachers in the league who comes to work for you (laughs) yeah uh snaps were significantly cut including his pass rush snaps this year but in terms of his relative drops to coverage he dropped to just over five percent this year where he'd been at 13.1 percent last year uh i you know, nobody they 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 were desperate for a Sam linebacker earlier last year when Bowser when Bowser was out, right? Mm-hmm. Bowser was out last year, right? At some point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And yeah, they were down there, they were down to Houston in a way pretty much for mm-hmm. <laughs> at the only for a for a while there. Um so they needed they needed him for that. This year they didn't, and, and I think it really helped. Of the edge group, he was his snaps were the most effective of any group that was on the field. What I mean by that is they, they had, they allowed 4.4 yards per pass plate when he's on the field. Um, and that was the lowest of any of the edge players. And it's not, a, I, I don't normally tout that statistic because I don't always think it, it means so much, but for players like Kyle Hamilton, it does mean a lot. Yeah. Uh, it really, it really matters whether Kyle Hamilton is at slot corner or whether he's on the back end. It's a huge difference for the Ravens. Um, and I think it matters for Odafe Owe. They, he's the guy they really want on the field on third down and did a good job of getting him getting there on the obvious passing downs. Yeah. And again, just, you mentioned how um, it matters. That particular stat matters a lot with Kyle Hamilton and and the film really supports that number. I think you can say the same thing for a way. I think the film supports that number because he does win rushes. I know people, (laughs) I I, I got a name in my head. I won't name this person, but there's a couple of people I know is, you know, almost away, right. Is what they like to call him. And again, I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. It's, it's a fair criticism, but when you're winning rushes at, at, at you know the rate and, and the frequency that he's winning them, you are still affecting the quarterback. And like you said, if you can do that, move him off his spot, get him to drop his eyes, get him to hold the ball, um, that's just going to help the defense. Whether that helps another rusher, whether that helps coverage, whatever the case may be, um, those do help. It's something that there isn't necessarily a stat category to track that, but it definitely helps. And and I guess there can be there's a, 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 anyway, I don't need to go into it, but there is NYOA is available um, out there on the NFL GSIS site. So if you want to find out for individual plays, at least it used to be, you know, I haven't checked the entire year to, to make mm. sure that's they still publish that. But net yards over average, it's for down and distance, similar down and distance situations. How does a single player's performance relate to league average? 
Mm-hmm. And so your Ravens have a whole bunch of players with plus because the Ravens defense overall is yeah. very good. And, and so, um, and bad defenses is that they have a whole bunch of negative numbers. It's kind of like looking at plus minuses for hockey mm-hmm. that, that, you know, even good players for bad teams are minus eight or something in, in, in hockey. And, and that's, uh, you know, it's, it's just the nature of the game and how it is, but, uh, some some good stuff out there if you ever want to look at NYOA. I'm thinking of doing a series this offseason, Michael. I wonder if you'd be interested in doing one of these where we go through kind of sources of information that are available for people who want to um, do analytics of, of some sort and you know, go through, hey, you can get this and you can you know sort this in this way and you can drop this into a CSV and you can do, you can do certain things with it. But I, I think that'd be a fun episode to do. Yeah, uh, sure. No, I'd be interested in that. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty low tech when it comes to that. But, um, you know, I, I get a lot of stuff from pro football reference yeah. um, and import a lot of that stuff. But obviously, NFL fast are for the guys way smarter than me. They're pulling tons of stuff off of that now. So, yeah, that would be a fun one. Yeah. I, the, the other thing which I think would be a fun series, and I hope you guys don't mind us talking about this during the show here, is doing a series on Things to look for when watching film. And this is the kind of thing where we got to really keep ourselves in check and and pick like, how do you identify the secondary on a play? Or how do you identify the defensive packages when I've done before? So I don't want to have to do that particular one again. But maybe in terms of, of a single pass rusher, what are you looking for on a play from your various sources of film, whether it's an all, you know one of the two all 22 views or, or coaches film, or whether you're looking at uh, just a straight TV. Because I'm a big proponent of the TV video because it gives you much more control and clarity and ability to time things. But you know, when I have questions, I mark my score sheet for A22 and I go back and look there. Yeah. So I'm sure you're, you're I, from my understanding of how you do things, you're much more of a fan of uh, going to the All-22 first. Yeah, I I tend to lean on that a little bit more. Now, I'll watch um, the TV copy because typically that's going to be available first. So I'll watch that yeah. again while I'm waiting. And there certainly are angles that I think are better on the TV broadcast, replay angles and that kind of thing. But if you want that wide angle shot, if you want that end zone shot from either behind the offense or the defense where you can see line play a little bit better, uh, certainly the wide angle you can see, you know, secondary play and wide receivers. Um it's like anything else, right? It's almost like this conversation we have between data and film. It's like, it's not an either or. The more you can take all of those tools and yeah. integrate them and use them, the better it uh, makes your analysis. So same thing with with the TV copy versus the, you know, integrate them both. Plus I like the sound on the TV copy too, because you can hear calls and different things. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think I told you, I, I played around that one year. This was back when Flacco was still here and I was like trying to figure out some of their cadence calls and, writing everything down and then going through, okay, well, here's what I think this mean versus here, you know, here's a check or here's, so there's a lot of cool stuff is basically what I'm saying. Don't, don't isolate or, or I don't say, don't exclude a particular source um, just because maybe you like another one a little bit better. It can still have value. You just kind of got to be open to, to seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think that would be think that would be a lot of fun. And you're one of the people I'd really want to do it. Michael's been through all the scouting academy stuff. And I think that assignment you were referring to for Zedarius Fifth earlier was probably a scouting academy assignment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was a scouting academy assignment. Yeah. Wait, well, I feel old now because I want to say it's been maybe 10 years since I did that now. It's been a long time. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, I still tout that to anybody who's interested, uh, even if you don't necessarily want to get into scouting for a pro team or a college team. Um, I just think it's a great learning experience. If you're interested in 
football in that way, right? If you really want to learn it at a, at a really sort of detail and granular way and get into the real nitty gritty, um, it's a it's a really great experience. Uh, James Ogden, who I think you've had sure. on your pod, he he went through the scouting academy. So uh, you know, I, I got I was looking for my referral bonus. I don't think I ever got it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I I still highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in it. All right, let's keep moving here. Malik Harrison. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things about Malik Harrison is I don't really think he's an inside linebacker anymore. I think he's moved full time to the outside, really reshaped his body this year. If you look at the roster, he lists at 259, which is a, a little bit too big to carry if you're if you're going to try and play Mike. Uh, I think I, I you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Probably could still be a two-down mic for an emergency situation, obviously, but I don't think the Ravens would really want him playing there for half a season at that weight. Say uh, it's just a, it's just a little bit too big. But uh, played sixteen point seven percent of the snaps this year, almost exclusively as the edge in their base package. So that's about how often they played the edge. Almost all the time, that was with Harrison at outside linebacker. Great snap divider, the uh, snap eater in terms of what he did often on the field with Robinson on those plays. Yeah, I, I know it's it's kind of a limited sample size, but I was really happy that they found a role and, you know, he was um, willing uh, to <laughs> to sort of fit that role because, like you said, he kind of had to bulk up uh, from a body type perspective to probably be his most effective in that role. Um, because, you know, up until this year, it was a little bit of trying to figure out where he, he fits best and we're going to try him here and we're going to try him there. And it just seemed like there wasn't a real clear role for him. Um, again, I've mentioned it before, kind of a, you know, jack of all master of none, you know, sort of situation for him. But this year that edge in the base package, I think he found, you know, that's kind of his home right now. Not to say that he couldn't do anything else, because I think he is, you know, a guy with a, a flexible skill set. But I really liked that role for him because he's another guy who is physical at the point of attack against the run. So <laughs> I think that was a really good fit for him. Yeah, very, very uh, heavy uh, run uh, set of downs that he played, obviously, almost exclusively first down, second down second and medium and and third and fourth and short uh he came in for some of that as well but basically a a, a very specific role and you know harrison now I, I i don't know if this is part of where he is in his career but he looks like a survivor to me a guy who's going to be with the ravens for a long time as one of their core special teams players and the the key thing is and this is true of a lot of linebackers that they fit well as four-unit core special teams players. Four-unit meaning punt, punt, return, kickoff, and kickoff return. So if they could do all those things, then then they're you know they're 
they're exceptionally valuable. Those guys, they're your core for special teams. You, you, if you lose one of them, it's a big deal. You have to try and figure out where I get the player to, to, to replace him from if you're a special teams coach. And Albert McClellan is just an incredible comp for him at this point. You know, a guy who played both inside and outside linebacker, uh, long-term Raven. I, I don't know if McClellan was actually ever the special teams captain, but the way Rossberg talks about him, it's like he's his firstborn son. <laughs> you know, in terms of covering kicks, so he really loved him. So uh, uh, I think Harrison probably uh, is is pretty close to that. He uh, Stone, I guess, was the captain to start the season. I don't know if Stone even stayed on special teams the entire year, but I, but I would expect if Stone's not here that Harrison will be the guy this next year. Yeah, he's definitely made himself uh, into one of those core uh, guys on teams and a leader. And I love the Albert McClellan comparison. I think it's a really apt one. Um, and you know. They definitely have a type, don't they? I mean, you can do this at various positions and various roles, really. You probably can can get a better look at it even by role if you, partic- you, you take a particular role, whether it's on offense or defense. And they have a type, whether you go back to the Aussie years or now ever since, you know, uh, DaCosta's been this year. They definitely have a type for certain roles, and you can see it. And you, you could so clearly see that when I saw that you mentioned Albert McClellan, I'm like, I this this is it. This is exactly the role that that uh, um, Harrison is in. Yeah, it's I the thing the thing that I say about the Ravens special teams players, their core special teams players, the guys they want to keep around for years, not the guys who are there because they're the fifth outside linebacker or they're the fourth inside linebacker. And they, you know, their future with the team is not known, but but certainly the vet players that they keep, um, like an Anthony Levine or McClellan or or other people like Stills they've had in the past, and even guys who are pretty good players, they can't be just a special teams player. They have to be a special teams player who can also contribute something on defense or even on offense. Kelly Washington fit into that category as a guy who could who could you know be a gunner and a guy who could help you get a third down conversion. Uh, I, I just. I, there's Harrison just is so, is so much looking like a lifetime Raven like uh, right now. I, I'd be kind of very surprised if he didn't resign a series of, of two year deals, kind of getting there. The only reason he wouldn't do that is because the Ravens really kind of love to have that fungible roster spot at the end, mm-hmm. and they might you know play the game of cutting him and bringing him back, cutting him and bringing him back each year so they can sneak an extra guy onto the roster on IR to be DTR'd. Yeah. Yeah, Justice Hill, I guess, would be the the offensive guy yeah. for that uh, who you know battled injuries um, early on, and you know they they kind of just had faith in him and stuck with him, and uh, was a really good gunner. Uh, has been a pretty effective gunner. I don't know if he's done it as much uh, since he played more on offense this year, but um, you know still played some on special teams this year. I think maybe not that much, but um, just another one of those guys, man, just a core special team type of guy, but can also give you something on offense in his case. And uh, I, I know people weren't like necessarily thrilled about that contract when he was initially resigned because they're like, mm-hmm. oh, Justice Hill, why are we doing this? But, you know, I, I think he he played a pretty vital role. Uh, I know I'm beating this dead horse again. Maybe didn't have his best game in pass protection in the AFC championship game. But again, yeah. A lot of a lot of people did not have their best game in the game. I'm not trying to single you know a guy out. Yeah, uh, Hill. By the way, his, his uh, special team snaps. Just looking at that because you made an interesting point. Is is uh, special team snaps were down from 214 to 87 this year. Okay. So they obviously took him off some groups in order to you know make sure that he was available as a running back. And he had a big year. Basically, he and Edwards had the same number of snaps the whole mm-hmm. year. And I, I don't know if that a lot of people know that. You probably a lot of people would say Edwards played more. 
And but yeah, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. Tavius Robinson. Uh, I, you know, how would you characterize his first season? I'll ask it as a question. I'll give my thoughts here. If you, if you're, uh, I put it between, (laughs) you mentioned scouting academy. So I'm using more scouting academy terminology. I would put him right around the solid category. I can see how you can make a, a, an argument if you're being like super, super nitpicky for maybe a little below average. But I, I lean more towards the solid, which in their terminology just means average, right? Like league average uh, for your position and for where you are in your career. Okay. So that was the, the, the what you just said at the end was, excuse me, was the question I wanted to ask is, um, does it include his years of service? Because Tavius mm-hmm. Robinson, as a fourth-round rookie, um, I think had an, a, a good-sized impact getting out there for 28.6% of the snaps. Don't often get that. And frankly, Tavius got it a lot because of injury early in the season. And the in a, you know Van Noy was not a Raven yet, and he was getting a lot of snaps in the in the early part of that season. It is his total declined after that. He obviously also got a fair amount in the base package, but it's I think it's so important developmentally to get those players on the field in some real live fire instead of just having them practicing with the team and be a game day inactive. Uh, just a big difference. Yeah, there's no replacement for those game snaps, those game reps. There just isn't. I mean. You can make practice as realistic as you want, but it's a simulation. <laughs> it's not the game. So it's a it's a huge benefit that he was able to get that uh, um, amount of opportunity. Because quite frankly, I I wasn't sure you know what he was going to get um, coming into the season, and I was like, man, it, it could be, it wouldn't be a wasted year by any stretch of imagination. But it, it can it can stunt things a little bit. You know, I think if you don't get enough, a sizable enough amount of game reps, um, you know, early on in your career, just so you kind of get your feet wet, get the feel for it because it's just different. And you could see it earlier on. You could see like, okay, this was a little bit of a shock to the system as you would expect it to be. And then, you know, as he played a little bit more, start to see him get a little bit better, get a little bit more comfortable, uh, particularly sort of understanding the level of physicality you have to play with at this level. <laughs> like you gotta, you gotta bring it up a notch. You might've thought you were a pretty physical player and I'm not saying he wasn't, but there's a different level in the yeah. NFL. And I think he gradually, um, you know, sort of learned that and you start to see it as the season went on. Like, okay, he gets it now. This is, this is how you have to play at, at this level. And he was a little bit older as a rookie is my recollection. I'm not looking at his age right in front of me right now, yeah. but but uh, I, 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 one of the thought things I thought we were getting with him was a little more grown man strength already present. But certainly by the end of by the beginning of next year, he should really be in a position for that. And, and I'm hoping, you know, he's he's the kind of player I really hope he seeks out some individual position coaching or or position coaching period. I'll say whether it's in one of these camps or whatever he might go to, uh, just would have a lot of value for a player like him to you know keep. Keep working on it, first of all, year round. And I know players want time off. They want to do other things. And these camps, they, they don't they don't last like three months or anything. You'd probably go for them for two weeks, right? To, if, if you're if it's an yeah. offensive line camp or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you probably heard like Von Miller, he's done a pass rush summit for a number of years. And I want to say that's like a week, maybe. Yeah. Uh there's a couple other guys who do it. And from from what I see and kind of read, and I think the majority of guys do it because you kind of have to. Because you're not allowed to get that interaction with your coaches uh, from the team during that offseason period. And pretty much outside of um, OTAs and sort of all the practices that you have before training camp, 
that's kind of it for skill development. Because once you get in the camp, now it's a little bit more, all right, we're starting to do install. You know, not that you're not doing that stuff in OTAs, because you are. You're kind of gradually building all the way through. But by the time I think you hit training camp, you're kind of like hardcore on installs and, you know, actually working on the stuff that you're going to be running during the season. And we've kind of gotten away from the skill of that. I mean, you still have individual periods, but it's not the same. So I think you got to get a lot of that stuff in the offseason on your own. Do you think that NFL players are well enough understand well enough the notion that it takes outside study, despite mm. the fact that they're probably going for 12 hours a day at the building or a lot of days they're spending 11, 12 hours there between, you know, getting, make, make sure they get all their mandatory lift, classroom time, all the other things that go with, you know, being, being a, uh, a player, a lot of them, you know, it's a great place to get free meals. They don't even mind being there 12 hours because the, the first hour and the last hour and, and a, an hour in the middle are meals and they don't have to pay for them themselves. But in, in the case of, of some players, do you think they think, okay, phew, the season's over. I need a break now. And all of a sudden, you know, it's May and they haven't really done very much and OTAs are coming up. And I, I just, I, I get the feeling that even with agents and, and, and what they can tell a player and how much they'll listen and even what teammates will maybe tell them that, that some players don't necessarily want to put themselves through the off-season grind it'll take to be a great football player. And some of them have other interests. I mean, they want to go to broadcasting camp or they want to go to other things. I mean, just I, I, I can understand the desire to go to an internship to get your business career started yeah. if you want to be in banking after you after you retire. And it's it's you know, boy, it's a it's a just a 12-month a year job. Yeah. I think there probably is some percentage of guys that are like that. Um because of all the reasons that you just mentioned, sometimes even with the younger guys, I think sometimes maybe you just you don't know what you don't know. Like if you haven't had the opportunity to be in a locker room with some more established vets who've already kind of set up that kind of regimen for themselves in the offseason, they have people they work with, they have people they trade. If you don't have that in your locker room, it's a bunch of young guys and everybody's like, all right, well, what do we do now? Um, you know, I think they could maybe fall into that a little bit, too. But I think a lot of the sort of young vets to certainly more established vets who've been around for, let's say, three, four, five years and up, um, they probably figured that out either on their own or by, you know, learning from, you know, an older vet on the team. And I just don't know that you can last very long in in today's league if you're not doing that. I I think it's just going to – no, I don't. I think it's going to be really hard to stick on a team and – be effective you know yeah can you make a team for a season kind of hang around in some different ways maybe be a p squad guy and then they ended up you know not uh not signing you to a futures deal or something so you do it over again the next year can you bounce around like that a little bit especially if you've got some physical talent sure i think you can but if you're trying to like really carve out a role for yourself on a 53 and like be a guy who's there year after year i think you got to do that i almost think you have to I don't think you can get away with not doing it anymore. Right. You don't want to learn your lesson by being cut, and it's particularly being cut for the last time. But, yeah. you know, there's uh, Caillou Blue Kelly. I don't know if you know this. He's now on his fourth team. I knew he'd moved around a couple times last yeah. year, but I didn't I didn't realize it was up to four. Yeah. So he got, he got actually I was surprised to see this. He got signed by the commanders in December, but he was with the Packers and one of the team before the Packers. Seattle. 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 Yeah, it was the very first one. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've heard a couple people and these people who may be a little bit more plugged into this kind of thing than me who say that that's kind of the common thing that they hear when when they have an opportunity to talk to players or current current players or former players like you have to do that on your own because you're not going to get enough of it with the team. 
You're just not, not to get to, you know, to become the the type of player you want to be. Yeah. Takes outside study. And you know what? I, I don't even think that's unusual for any highly paid profession in yeah. America. I mean, if you're a doctor, you go learn about how to do new surgeries or new procedures or anything you might be able to charge from or how to run your medical practice because yeah. nobody's going to tell you the business side of that. You're a lawyer. I would imagine there are any number of things beyond just the, the standard set of ways you have to train yourself to meet uh, compliance standards, you know, to maintain your, 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 uh, your credentials. Yeah. You probably have to go to lots of other seminars to learn new things about the law. Absolutely. Look, I just heard my dentist. That's why this is fresh in my head. My dentist just told me about this. I'm in there just for like a routine cleaning. And uh, he had referred me to this periodontist and I'd got some work done. And he told me, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see, you know, Dr. Muckford. And I was like, oh, he's like, oh, yeah, we get together, a group of us get together a couple times a month and discuss like special cases or rare situations. Journal club. Everybody's got to do it. Everybody's got to do it. If you're trying to be the best that you can be, if you're trying to maximize you know, where you're going in that profession, you, you, you got to do it because there's just not enough um, during sort of those core business hours. You're, you're working right at the time. So there's not a lot of time for study or research or discussion. That stuff's got to come outside. Yep. Very much. All right, let's move on and talk about the last player on this group. And, and obviously we've talked, we've hit on him a little bit in terms of what David Ajabo did. They used the second round pick on him. They have gotten very little bit of actual time on the field in, in two times. I have very little to say about the second season that's truly positive. In some of the play that he had, um, there were some missed run assignments, mm-hmm. you know, getting caught uh, either on the inside. I have one visual memory of that in the preseason. Um, or, or, you know, just not being in position to, to take his place, sometimes not being physical enough. Um, had nine coverage snaps. Um, I don't. I wouldn't look at that as being a Jabo's long-term future in the NFL. But uh, it was Cincinnati, and he had a fair number of coverage snaps because Cincinnati has this very horizontal spread game and whatnot. I think that that uh, you know they're playing small ball. One of the things you try and do is get pressure on the inside and get the outside linebackers to the outside, which is something the Ravens were pretty effective at. Yeah, the phrase that came to mind for him, and this is this is pre-injury, right before he got hurt, mm-hmm. is just development isn't always linear, right? So you're yep. thinking after year one with the flashes he showed, if you're looking at it in terms of like a graph, like, okay, the arrow's going to keep going up like this. A lot of times it's going to go here and it's going to go back up and it's going to go back down even further than with the last time this is going to come back up. That's the real, that's the reality I think oftentimes of how, you know, development yep. can be for some of these guys. And that's different for every player. You know, what that's going to look like is, is different for every guy. Um, Obviously, the physical traits are there. That's that's why they used that second round pick, even though, you know, he was coming off of that injury. Um, you know, we'll see what those look like when he's he's fully healthy again. But, you know, we heard all of this great stuff right coming into training camp about, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of shape he was in and how he was kind of ready to take that next step. Um, and then when I watched the preseason, I saw a couple of this was preseason. I'm going to you know lead into the regular season. But I saw some instances where I felt like he was dropping his eyes on content. And I was mm. like, that's not a good sign to me. Like, you know, you're, you're engaging with a guy on a block and, you know, you're ducking your head. And I'm like, I don't know if things are are just still kind of moving a little fast for him right now. Um, at that time, let me let me say it that way. I don't know if things were moving kind of just a little bit fast. I, I got the sense that things were, were still kind of, you know, spinning for him. Like, it had, and you might think, well, he played his first year. Shouldn't it have slowed down a little bit? He didn't play that much his first year. Um, 
And then, you know, you're getting more on your plate now going into your second year. And I think it might have been spinning a little bit in terms of installs, in terms of calls, in terms of things they were asking him to do. I think it might have still been going a little bit fast for him. And that carried over, I thought, a little bit into, you know, the the limited snaps he had in the regular season, too, where you're just like, okay, the game hasn't slowed down for him yet. (laughs) Let me let me start by saying it's just that sort of observation where you're seeing him drop his head and whatnot. This is why I love talking football with you, Michael. It's, it's you, you, you notice stuff that is, you know, really different. We've all got our little things that we notice that are a little bit different from the next guy because we're we're specifically good at looking at particular parts of the game. But that's really an outstanding observation. And I, I guess I would ask a question back on it. Is any of that potentially something that he didn't even have to clear up at Michigan? Because, I mean, at Michigan, obviously, a, a, you know, tremendous physical talent relative to the players around him then. And he hadn't been playing the game for that long. Yeah. And so w- when I hear that, I'm thinking Daniel Fa'alele and not pretending like his arms are vestigial to himself in terms <laughs> of not punching. Yeah, there might have been a little bit of that, but it was it was confusing to me because when I saw it, I went back and I looked at some of the the snaps from his first year. Again, a, a pretty small group of snaps, so it's pretty easy to get through them and watch them. And I didn't see it. So I was like, well, wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. Why would he be doing that now? I, you know, you could you could maybe make a little bit more of a plausible argument for it as a rookie. Saying, okay, this is a rookie. You know, it's kind of just getting acclimated or whatever. So I don't really know how to answer why he was doing it. And it stopped. It's not something he continued to do. Um, throughout the limited snaps he had in the season. I want to say by the time he got into the season, I didn't see it as much anymore. It was kind of mainly the preseason. So, you know, I don't know what was going on there. It could have it could have just been a focus thing. You know, maybe there was something that just happened in that particular play. You know, he got poked in the eye or something weird. I mean, I saw it more than one time. I saw it a couple of times, and I was just trying to kind of figure it out. But hmm. uh, it just that, and then, like you said, some of the missed assignment stuff, um, you know, I think people can maybe think of a couple of runs that bounced outside of him on the edge because he's not staying out there. He's trying to duck inside or do whatever. A little bit of that Tim Williams action. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I think it's still just going a little too fast for him right now. And sometimes you just got to get out of your own way with that stuff. It's like, you know what to do and you have the physical ability to do it. But the pressure of being a second round pick coming off an injury you know, everybody's, you know, kind of hyping. I've seen all the stories reported about me in the offseason and how I'm getting ready to take that step. They can say all they want that they don't listen to that stuff. They're human beings and they're young guys who grew up in the social media age. So I think they do hear it. They might not want to talk about it, but they hear it. And sometimes, you know, you got to remember these are human beings, they're not robots. So that stuff, it can affect them just like it can affect anybody. So I don't know. Obviously, I'm not a psychologist, not a psychoanalyst, but I just wonder if maybe he was kind of getting in his own way a little bit before he got hurt. And, you know, hopefully that won't be the case uh, when he's back healthy. I, you know, to to all young players out there, I'm not necessarily in a position to give advice on this, but I will say professionally, it does not matter what some people think. It does not matter if everybody works for you, likes you. Okay. I, I would prefer it, you know, in, in terms of, of working environment to work with. It. But if if somebody doesn't like you and it's because you think they're not particularly good at their job, well, first of all, you probably have some work to do to get rid of that person and and uh, uh, some things to do. But in the, in the case of, of a Jabo, if there's a bunch of people out there and you felt the need to go to John Harbaugh or something and say something about it, because it's, it's, first of all, he wouldn't be the appropriate person to go to. His first reaction is going to be, hey, look, uh, 
it's part of the job. This is it's a fair comment situation. I look at the thing Odell Beckham put up what a day or two ago talking about how he played 30% of the snaps and he mm-hmm. this and that and get off my back and blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't know. I don't even know if that was in response to someone. Okay. If it was a general feeling about the thing, but he shouldn't have started by misrepresenting the percentage of snaps he played <laughs> because yeah. it was really weak. Yeah. So. It was a response. I saw that too. Yeah. Somebody said it might've been one of these aggregator tweet accounts that put out something okay. about, you know, his, uh, I think they showed like his, his full season stats. Okay. And, you know, he, he, you know, went in the way that he went in, but um, yeah, I just wonder about that kind of thing sometimes because it reminds me of like Kyle Hamilton, he mentioned it last year, right? After the, particularly after the Dolphins game, he said, and somebody asked him that specific question, is the game just moving too fast for you right now? Has it slowed down? He's like, no, it's my mind. My mind is moving too fast right now. It's not the mm-hmm. game. It's me in my own head. I'm thinking too much. And he said, you know, once he got back to just, hey, I'm just going to go out here and make a play. This is what I did in high school. This is what I did in college. I think them moving him to nickel helped kind of free him up that way sometimes. Hey, you see something, just go get it, man. Stop thinking and probably just go get it because that's what we brought you here to do. And I think sometimes as I was watching Ojabo last year, it was a little bit of that to me maybe going on with him. Like it's just going too fast inside. You just got to slow that down and just say, hey, look, Stop thinking about, okay, I'm supposed to do this here. And then here's the call, but I got to adjust. You know what? Just go get it, man. Just go. <laughs> you know, that happened with Patrick Queen. We used to talk about, uh, me and Denar would talk about that all the time with him. When he's just going forward, he makes a bunch of plays. Mm-hmm. But when he's thinking and trying to diagnose and trying to, t- hey, sometimes you just got to go. And then once you can build your confidence that way, because you've made some plays, okay, now you can bring some more of the mental stuff back in and say, all right, give me a little bit more, coach. Put a little bit more on my plate now. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you can get a little too much too soon, and it actually slows you down. That's why you'd see plays where Josh Bynes was getting to the ball before him. And we know that Patrick run right by Josh Bynes. We know that. But Josh is at that point, obviously, in his career. It's apples and oranges, right, where he's seeing it, and it's like instant. I see it, I go, right? Because I've seen it a thousand times or however many times. So sometimes that's just what it is with young players and you just have to be patient with it. And it can be hard because the expectations with where he was drafted and the potential and all of that. But sometimes you just got to be patient with it. So the biggest thing for me, uh, with me, for him, is just the health part. I just really hope that he's able to have uh, better injury luck and and stay healthy because I think the physical ability is there. All right, outstanding. We'll move a little quicker now. Uh, some other guys who had snaps this year. Bowser, we talked about percentage chance he's back. Let's just cut it at that and not not take any chance really discussing him. Percentage chance I'm, back? I'm right, I, yeah, I'm writing mine down right now. Oh, man. I got to be below 50. I got to be in the 40s probably. Okay, I, I I would say that's very high. I'd take the wager if you're offering three to two kind of thing. But oh, I, I, going I think lower. I think it's more like 10. Ooh. And I almost I almost think the Ravens have to – I think the Ravens are really pissed off about what happened this year. The, mm-hmm. the uh, Harbaugh clearly, with two players this year, was really openly upset with the questions. And I can't tell whether he's upset with the questions because he's upset with the player, which I think was definitely the case with J.K. Dobbins, mm-hmm. or he's upset with the questions because he just kept getting them, which was at least the case with Bowser. But it may have been also that Bowser, you know, for whatever reason, the Ravens got into some sort of pissing match with Bowser about when you have to come back in order to come back at all and get credit for the season, blah, 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 blah. 
Um, the Ravens didn't want him back for just six games, say. And um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the Ravens really wanted out of this time. But they basically, I think they gave Bowser a deadline from what I can gather from what occurred. And Bowser just was not did not feel like his body was ready. And, you know, it's his prerogative. Um, but it's uh, it's something that probably I think I think there's a, a, a real chance based on the way I hear Harbaugh responding to things that the bridge has been burned. Yeah. And the reason that I put it as high as I did is because of what you just said. I just don't know. I yeah. don't know if it is more on that side where relationship has been damaged and there's kind of some some ill will on either side or mistrust on either side. Then, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's super low. Uh, but if it's just purely injury related and just some sort of weird set of circumstances where things are there's more to the injury than what we've been um, you know, told as fans, which is fine. You know, mm-hmm. I, I totally get that. But uh, it's like with Ronnie. Right. There was more to that than we initially thought with Ronnie's injury. Right. And, you know, when Ronnie spoke and said, oh, whoa, wait a minute. No, nah, it wasn't just that. There were some other things that were going on, too. So maybe there's something like that there. I don't know. Yeah, with, with Ronnie. I don't think there's ever been a question about how the injury occurred either because we all saw it happen in, right. in that game in, in 2020. Or actually, almost none of us saw it happen because it was a COVID game. I did happen to be there. But it was a craptastic you know, set of circumstances that led to that ankle. And then we know a lot about things not going right on the rehab and whatnot. I think part of the reason they may be pissed off with Bowser uh, may have to do with how the injury occurred, which I have never heard stated. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. So, um, you know, we did we did hear the Suggs Achilles years ago was pick up basketball game or whatever, and they didn't want to sour that relationship. Um, Bowser's situation, an incredibly talented player, which would be the reason, you know, they'd want to try and get him back. But uh, um, it just seems like it'd be a big risk, you know, for five and a half million that they can save, which they proved this last year that they can spend pretty effectively. Yeah. Um, I just I, I honestly I just don't see it happening. But yeah. We'll hey, I, if people are betting, I'd, I'd say they should go with your number. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the other guy that we kind of forgot about from early in the year is Malik Ham, who I believe did take a shot at coming back from IR and then was not really ready to go when they did mm-hmm. it. Or they did actually probably is more of a case of not that he wasn't ready to go, but the Ravens didn't have a need. So the Ravens play a game with IR DTR slots where they bring these guys back set up their three-week window when they think they're they're basically ready to go physically. And if the Ravens then suffer a different injury during that three-week window, that they activate him. And in Ham's case, they did not. And so they just sent him back to IR to finish the season. I, I still think – I think he has a future with the Ravens. In particular, I think he's, he's a guy competing for a spot this next year. Yeah, definitely flashed some in the preseason. I mean, you heard a lot of good reports. Um out of camp about what he was doing, even in those practices that weren't uh, when they got to the point where they weren't necessarily open to the public. Um, so I definitely think that there's something there. We, we saw he's got some juice as a pass rusher. He's definitely got a little juice. You know, he's, he's got a little uh, package of moves that he, to me, that's always a good sign with a really young player when you're not shy about using moves in a game. Because some people, you can tell, they're just like, ah, I've done this in practice, but I'm not sure if it's going to work in the game. So I'm just going to bull rush. I'm just going to bull rush over and over and over and over again, right? And it's like, no, it's okay. This is the time to do that, right? You're in the preseason. I know you're trying to make the team. I know you're trying to make the team, so you don't want to make a mistake and look you know, foolish or get pancaked or anything like that. But I, I feel much better about young guys who are willing to try some of that stuff in a game. Because to me, that's a confidence thing. That's like, hey, you know what? 
hey, balls to the wall. I'm going to try this. And if it works, then everybody's going to see what I'm capable of. And if it doesn't, hey, I'll go back, you know, to the lab and I'll work on it and I'll, I'll try to get better at it for the next rep. Ham, one of the guys who'll, who'll be around next year, one of the guys who won't is Jeremiah Moon, who got picked up by the Steelers uh, after he was cut. Uh, kind of unfortunate situation. Uh, I don't really feel like he has any kind of a big time future with the Ravens. And if they so if he suddenly becomes Harrison with the Steelers, they would be really upset about it. But I don't really foresee that happening this time around. Yeah, got some run, you know, both mostly probably injury related, right? This this mm-hmm. year when he he got the opportunities that he got. So another, you know, good experience from a game rep situation. And, you know, obviously had some size and some length. So had some intriguing traits, but um, you know, he's he's a stealer now. And uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. We'll go another set of percentages here. Percentage chance Clowney and Van Noy uh individually are signed. And I know they're those these are not independent numbers because if they sign one, they probably don't sign the other. It's probably it's probably either or, or it might be either or anyway. You know, the, I want to say higher. I, I wanted to go higher on Clowney, but he's been on this one year sort of mercenary thing for a mm-hmm. while now. And that just might be the mode that he's in, regardless of how good a fit he might think that he had with a team. I think that's just kind of the mode that he's in. But um, I think he likes Chuck Smith being here. I think he likes this defense. So uh, I'll go. I'll go fifty on him. I'm going to go lower on Van Noy. I'm going to. I'm going to go probably thirty on Van okay. Noy. I got twenty five on both. I think, okay. I think. I think the Ravens want Clowney back. I just don't think they're going to be able to come to an agreement. And the Ravens have so many mouths to feed this offseason. So many ways to figure it out. It gets done. You know the big. The big. The bus in this parking lot puzzle. You know that that long strip that you have to figure out how to get along uh, around is the Matabike contract. Yeah. If they if they can figure out, you know, if they tag and trade Matabike, for example, opens up a lot of options in terms of how they spend their money. Yeah. If they just allow Matabike to walk, which I'm definitely not in favor of, that that would open up a lot of options in terms of of how they do things. But uh, um, the Matabike tag is gonna is gonna be a, a very large thing for them to process off as quickly as possible. Yeah. And you're right. I, they got a sweetheart deal on Clowney this year and you're not getting that deal now. <laughs> right. No, completely agree. And and maybe there's another guy who wants to come to Baltimore and rejuvenate his career at age 31 and fantastic. Let's yeah. let's see what's out there. <laughs> everybody else wants young pass rushers. They they you know, they say we got him in the draft and we don't get him at all and great. <laughs> um the year 5 option on OA, we didn't talk about this early. It's just over 12 million. I think it's a no-brainer the Ravens mm-hmm. take it whereas I think they they almost certainly will decline the one on Bateman which is a little bit over 13 million. I do think either of them are potential long-term re-signs with OA probably being slightly more likely. But Bateman, I think, even after after year four, could be signed to a, a, a price appropriate multi year deal with the Ravens. Uh, where would you? I'm not asking for percentages this year, but do you, do you agree on the fifth year options, which get picked up, which doesn't? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I agree with the way that you laid that out. Um, I think, you know, particularly in in lieu of how things went with Queen, I, I don't know that they. I guess they do regret this decision, but, uh, you know, every situation is a little bit different. So with OA, yeah, I definitely think that they pick it up. Bateman's interesting to me because I don't know. I, I can't help but feel like there's still something that's not right with their relationship. There's, there's something hmm. that's still not quite, you know, he had the little dust up with EDC. Uh, 
you know, back over the summer and, you know, they said they talked and everything was, was patched up. They were good, but I don't know. Something still just doesn't feel quite right uh, to me there. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. They've been very positive on him. I, I, you know, looking at the aggregated stats and especially a lot of the secondary stats that I'm not always looking at all the time during the season, Bateman had a very tough year and it was a, 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 a good amount of high trust plays he made for Lamar were the really positive things about it, but still had some drops. I think that, you know, the one thing about Bateman that is kind of frustrating to me is Lamar does not seem to trust him to go get the football and keep it away from the defender. Mm-hmm. And that I, the, the, the way that I think that shows up is he seems to overthrow Bateman more regularly on deep throws. Whereas he has a, a high degree of trust already in just a few throws with likely mm-hmm. for, for him to go up and get the ball. Uh, it, it just, I, I can't say it hasn't been borne out either because the, the passer rating throwing to Bateman for the season was only 61. Mm-hmm. Right, 61, 66.1 is one of those two. It's it, really bad though, yeah. as, as opposed to, you know, 140 roughly throwing to the tight ends this year. So uh, pretty amazing year for that. Um, we talked about bargain bin shopping, a job. we know he needs to move forward. Harrison and Robinson, you think they continue with that in terms of managing snap counts? Obviously that works with a lot of different, more senior personnel that they might ha- otherwise have. Yeah. It's a nice card to have in your hand, you know, to be able to, to deploy those guys that way. So yeah, I, 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 I'd agree with that. What, what do you do in the draft at edge in particular? Well, I think they'll they'll probably take somebody. I mean, they 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 tend to like to keep that position stocked, you know, one one mm-hmm. in one way or another. Um, I think probably when they took Robinson, I don't know if people necessarily thought about him that way. Maybe a little bit more of a uh, a down D lineman, like an end, you know, old mm-hmm. school sort of DN type. But you know, I think he has a little bit of flexibility to stand up a little bit too um, in certain situations. So you know, the body type. Um, you know, could, could vary, but yeah, I think that they'll take somebody. I don't know that it necessarily has to be a first round guy. I mean, I, you know, we always say depends on how the board falls and who's there. Uh, so you can't rule it out. Um, but you know, it's a good year. Uh, if you need a tackle, it's a good year to look for a tackle right now because it's reportedly a pretty, a pretty deep group. So I could see them maybe, you know, kind of what they did with Tavius taking somebody a little bit later in the draft. And then of course they'll probably always take some UDFA swings at that position too. So, um, you know, you can never, you can never rule it out in the first round, but um, I, I probably think it happens a little bit later. Uh, be my guess too. Is, is there a bigger need than offensive tackle for the Ravens this, this time around? Not that I can think of. It is pretty glaring this year and, you know, credit to Ronnie, man. I mean, he battled, he really fought to try to, you know, be out there and, uh, you know, play through stuff because you could tell he wasn't right. You could just yep. you could just tell he wasn't right. So credit to him and Moses. You know, I don't want to shortchange him either. But yeah, they he had a really good year. They've uh, it's it's time to make a move at that position. Right. The Moses, I think, is uh, the thing that was just a really breath of fresh air is he's played two great years on a three year contract. There's not even a single peep about him being a guy you might cut in the third year where where the value from cutting a player typically is because it's usually their largest salary, biggest savings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with Stanley, 
Um, I was right on the fence at midseason about whether or not they were going to be able to pick up that eight, what essentially is an $8.3 million savings they could harvest by cutting him. The, the last four games of the year, I think, solidified it for me. They, they want him for 24. It's going to ease that transition. Yeah. It'll make the barrier costs of entry a little bit lower in terms of draft capital. Mm-hmm. I think they could go a little bit later and get a two-year plan. I still think this year they have to get a guy who can certifiably play left tackle. Not a swing man, not a guard center, not a, <laughs> not a not a versatile offensive lineman. Screw all that crap. They need a left tackle, um, and if he plays some other position his first year, that's fine. But he's got to be the the you know the left tackle who will get us you know probably twenty million dollars of savings on Ronnie's can- contract in two thousand twenty five. Yeah, and uh, you know that's probably gonna you know mean you got to do that with a, a pretty high pick, you know, a first yep. or second round pick. Um, to to get that type of guy, but um, you know, by all accounts, uh, like I said, you never know until this stuff happens, and you know, you have a couple of years to see how these guys play out. But by all accounts, uh, it's a really good crop of offensive tackles uh, this year, and so you know, they they should have some uh, some opportunities, uh, you know, to to find a guy that they like. I mean, you got to do something. Uh, you know, no, no disrespect to Pat McCarry or Daniel Falele, because I, I think again, you know, any, any, particularly with Falele, you know, guys, guys can always improve. You know, that's one of the things that I learned a lot in the static and the scouting academy. One of the things that Dan Hatman used to always remind us is, you know, you can't look at these guys statically. You mm-hmm. know, you see them one year, and regardless of what you think of it, whether it was good or bad, it's not going to stay that way, uh, more than likely. So you got to be willing to readjust you know, um, as time goes on and, and always keep in mind that there's an opportunity for improvements. I guarantee <laughs> there's an opportunity that guys can always improve. So that could still be the case for Daniel. And, you know, we know what Makari is just a solid guy. You know, you can count on him to step in if you need him to, but um, it's probably time to start to turn that page. You know, Ronnie has been hell of a player for them, a mm-hmm. hell of a player. So you, like you said, it would be nice to have him back for next year. And then where you could kind of transition a young guy in, maybe you even do the rotation thing with him. If they want mm-hmm. to continue to do the rotation thing, I don't know how they feel about that, but um, you know, it, it could be like Jimmy Smith and uh, Marlon, right. You kind of yep. work Marlon in a little bit, phase Jimmy out a little bit, and then Marlon takes over. So maybe it could be, you know, an approach like that too. So we'll, we'll see. I wouldn't rule out the possibility, by the way, Stanley even gets to a point health-wise where he could be extended. The Ravens, honestly, just need to be prepared for it. It's too big a nut in 25 to overlook it in the Lamar Jackson second contract era. They have to figure out how they're going to find money. And there's another big name that will be included who I'm going to talk about in the next show, and that's Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a big decision is coming up in 25 about him. So he's even though it's not fair, he's you know, he's played extraordinarily well. He's now at a crossroads season in 24 playing for for his future, I think. But Michael, let me just say I, I've got to move on. I've got another recording to get to, as you know. But but uh, um, I so appreciate you coming on the show and talking football. You're one of my favorite people, which is why we always run long. We said we're, we're going to really try and get this done in an hour, and we're at an hour and 24 and, and, and chugging along. But tell people where they can talk to you online and, and also listen to your other content. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Abukari or X, I guess you got to call it now, A B U K A R I. And, uh, you know, Deep Cover Podcast is a show I do with Chris Aguilera and Kerry Stevenson, and the Fire Zone Show is a show I do with Denar Melton where we talk exclusively defense. I I should say primarily defense. Every now and then we mix in a little bit of offense and deep cover is just a little bit of everything, a little bit of offense, a little bit of defense, a little bit of life, 
um, you know, just, you know, a good group of guys with both of those shows. And, you know, we've slowed down a little bit as we enter the off season, but we'll probably have some stuff around the draft because all of those guys are, you know, big time into the draft. So, um, you know, be on the lookout for some of that stuff. I'm sure I'll have Michael back to do some draft content here. We'll always look forward to it, talking any kind of football with you, Michael. It's always a pleasure. But, Appreciate uh, that. But we'll really look for you on, in, in terms of a draft position and uh, and, and whatnot. Uh, other folks out there uh, talked about the historical show we're going to be doing. Think about what player you'd like. DM me on Twitter, and I will s- reserve that player that you want to talk about for you. And uh, and I'll make a list, and I'll be getting back to people, and we'll start recording shows, and they'll be they'll be basically showing up all off season uh, as some of the content since the the news cycle is a little bit slower, as we all know, for football during the off season. And uh, really appreciate uh, any folks who want to be a part of that. Michael, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. The ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.